0: Thanks for joining the podcast of the River Anglican Church in Blacksburg, Virginia. Today, Jonathan concludes the series on good and faithful by pointing out some very notable women, both in history and from the Bible. Here's Jonathan. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you again so much for the opportunity to be together, to worship, to praise, to sing, to hear from you, uh, to read your word out loud. Um All the things that um so many take for granted, Lord, in a country that in this period of time is still relatively free, Lord. We thank you for these freedoms. What a priv- privilege it is to be together, Lord, and to sit at your feet. We pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to who you are, that we might see you clearly. That we might hear from you, Lord, and any barriers and distractions, anxieties, fears that we come with today. We just lay at your feet and say, Lord, we've chosen the better thing. We want to hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my my name is Jonathan Tagg. If I haven't met any of you, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm so very excited about the topic for today. And this is the third week of a series that we've been in called Good and Faithful. And it's based on the scripture where Jesus says, uh, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little here. I will entrust you with much more. Come and share in the master's joy. And so we're doing this series talking about the fact that we've been given these gifts from God and reminded during this series every fall when we do this three-week series that God has given us these incredible gifts. Not only are we adopted as sons and daughters of God, not only are we given the Holy Spirit, but we are entrusted to be stewards. We talked two weeks ago about the fact that that term in the Bible, the steward, is like a household manager entrusted with the, the household and the property and the affairs and the finances, even sometimes the family of the master's house. And so in the same way, you have been entrusted, if you were a follower of Christ, with the household of God, which means not just the facilities of the church and the ministries and the programs and the people, but it means also the finances and the affairs of the kingdom and stewards of the world of creation. We have been given so much. Last week, I reminded you the gifts I said, see, yeah, there is a lot happening behind me. Okay, I told you that we've been entrusted with all these gifts and I gave you just a list, which I'll just look at with you. A, A gift of your story, the good and the bad, the gift of your intelligence and personality, of your time and your opportunities and your talents and gifts and abilities, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the possessions that he's given us, the money that he's given us. Isn't he generous with us? Amen. And so, two weeks ago, I reminded you uh, of of the life of one person who was no different than you and I, but he was fully devoted to God, faithful with what God had given him, the life of John Wesley. Wesley is known to have said this, with more income, what should rise is not our standard of living, but our standard of giving. Wesley used his abilities not just as a preacher, but as an organizer and a generous person to be a model to everyone around him. So, for example, he said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Well, what he meant by that is make all you can, but not so that you can live a lavish lifestyle, but the second was save all you can, so you can live plainly, according to Wesley. So you can live modestly, and that's so you can give all you can. And so at one point, Wesley was giving away 46 times of his income. We talked about two weeks ago. So if you were Wesley today, that means that you would be making $460,000, and if my math is right, living on what? $10,000. You'd be making $460,000, and you'd be living on $10,000 so that you could make all you can, save all you can, live plainly, and give all you can. So last week Mcdonald uh McDonald, yeah, that's what I'm calling him now, not Jack McDonald, just McDonald, preached on generosity from the book of First Timothy, and we also looked at the lives of Zacchaeus and elisha, and that was a great sermon. So if you miss any sermons, go to our website and you can get caught up so Tim Keller has a website too. you can get caught up on Tim Keller's sermons, but We have one here also. Well, today I'm excited to look with you at women. So we looked at an example of John Wesley. Now we're going to look at women who accomplished great things with what God had given them. And as we look at these examples uh, uh, in the scriptures as well as in church history, we're going to end by just a, a brief period of reflection. God, what have you given me? Am I thankful and how can I, what step are you are you calling me to take moving forward to be even more faithful? And so if anybody says, by the way, that the Bible is a patriarchal, misogynistic document, they need to do better research and they need to hear this sermon. And quite to the contrary, the Bible is a radical countercultural document for its day. And in it, God affirms the value and the giftedness of women. For example, oh, there is a lot happening. I was like, am I seeing like lights? Like, is that the beginning of the end when you see things flashing? It could be, but in this case, it is the, this, okay. So we read in Exodus chapter one and chapter two, that it is women whom God used in their giftedness to make the exodus of God's people possible. And you say, well, how is that, Jonathan? There we go. Thank you very much. All right, we're, we're here. By being integral to the rescue of God's deliverer, Moses. So in Exodus 1, let me just review these four characters, all women that God uses, right? The, the courage of Shipra and Puah, the midwives. So, you know, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt ordered them to do something. It says, because they feared God, they said, that ain't happening. And, and so they decided to birth the Hebrew babies and use their craftiness and their cunningness to kind of make up a reason, which was true, right? It was like, you know, the Hebrew wives are like very, you know, they're, they pump them out, whatever. But okay, just leave that there. But you get the point. So their faith and cunning made it possible for for Moses to be born. In Exodus 2, we read that it was Moses' mother who hid him for three months, risking her own life. She could have just done the easy, quick, disbelieving thing and ended Moses' life, giving, giving him over. But she didn't. She hid him until she could hide him no longer, and she used her creativity and her craftsmanship and her ingenuity to create a miniature waterproof ark. And some of you here have these gifts of ingenuity and creativity. And now if it was me making that ark, that would not have floated. So next we see Moses' sister. So she's walking at a distance, following her brother who she loves and wants to see survive as he's floating down the aisle in this waterproof ark. But then... Moses is found by the fourth character and that's Pharaoh's daughter who it says has what on her? Has mercy. The gift of mercy and the gift of compassion. She hears the baby crying and she has compassion. And then go back to the third character, Pharaoh's daughter in her wit and intellect and strategy (laughs) says, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew midwives to nurse the baby for you? Right? Says that to to Pharaoh's daughter and she says yes do that so so wise and intelligent and cunning is as Moses's sister that it's actually Moses's mother who gets paid to care for a Hebrew baby who should have been as good as dead four women using their intelligence and their craftiness and their wits and their creativity and ingenuity and craftsmanship to save who would be the person who would be the deliverer of Israel. Well, If we continue continue through the Old Testament, let me mention some other examples. We've got sights and sounds. We've got a lot going on here. Many other examples of women who are called and used in their giftedness. Miriam, Moses' sister, was the first woman in the Bible to be called a prophet. A prophet was one who took the word of God and communicated the word of God to God's people using wisdom and leadership and teaching. In the book of Judges, we discover Deborah, who had the gift of one of the first female, the first female judge, who had the gift of leadership and wisdom as a prophet and judge. So in the book of Chronicles, we meet Hulda, who's not a common name, and you may not have heard about her before, but in the time of King Josiah, the king said to his priest and, and other leaders, we need to go and inquire of the Lord for our future, for wisdom, for discernment and direction. Who should we go to? Well, they went to the household of Huldah. And in that day, of course, in the household, you would go to the man. They didn't go to the man. They went to Huldah. So instead of like her just giving instruction, men were seeking her out for instruction because of her giftedness and her wisdom and her insight. So fast forward to the New Testament. We see several examples of women who were gifted for ministry in a variety of ways. The story that Scott read this morning in the gospel, it was a, a poor widow, a woman who was called out by Jesus for her sacrificial generosity. And here you had all the leaders of Israel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming. And what would happen in the temple courts is literally they had these huge funnel-shaped baskets and the Pharisees and the Sadducees would come. And when the gift would be given, they'd go, you know, there literally would trumpets would blare to announce the giving of the gift. But no, it wasn't them. It was this woman, this poor widow who Jesus said, truly, I tell you, she's put more than all the others. Why? Because she gave out of her poverty everything, all she had to live on. A few other examples. Did you know, question, did you know that Jesus' ministry and his disciples was funded predominantly by a group of women? There we go. There's one, yes. Is that anything that you've heard before? So, of course, Jesus didn't have property. He didn't have assets. There was a common purse for the disciples. And, you know, like the disciples had to eat and stuff and stay places and sandals wore out and things like that. Clothes wore out, burlap or whatever they were wearing. That was a joke. I don't know what they were wearing. It wasn't always burlap. It was burlap when they were upset. Okay. All right. Just trying to throw some humor in there. and Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But Luke 8 Tells us there were a group of women that gave out of their means. And the list is provided of that group of women who were funding the disciples, names like Mary Magdalene, look it up, feel free to, you know, fact check me, Joanna, Susanna, and quote unquote, many others. And it was their generosity that funded the ministry of Jesus because contrary to that day, Jesus treated them like human beings. They were friends. They were companions. They were even disciples able to sit at the rabbi's feet and listen to teaching and eventually to use the gifts that God had given them for ministry, which we'll see in a minute. Something that was never done by rabbis at the time. You may know that the way it was was that women, women were completely separate from the instruction or the educational process. It was only men until this ministry of Jesus, which was completely countercultural. Another example of generosity and giftedness was the ministry of Mary of Bethany. And you might remember the story that she came and she broke an alabaster jar. What a woman of self-abasement and generosity and love and tenderness. She broke this alabaster jar that was worth 300 denarii, the scriptures tell us, which is, by the way, a full year's wages of a vineyard worker. And she gave the gift To Jesus, just like you and I have the opportunity to give our gifts to Jesus and to bring our alabaster jars to Jesus. Scripturally, the Bible makes it clear in Ephesians that the church is now the body of Christ with Christ as its head. That means that we are the voice and the ears and the feet and the hands and the touch of Jesus to the world. And so as we bring our alabaster's jars to the church, we are in essence bringing that to Jesus. We can't say, well, that's just the institution. No, the church militant, the church visible, is the church of the living God, amen? There is no other. There is the invisible church, but there is the visible, the church militant, as it's called, which is the hands and feet in the body of Christ. So we must bring our alabaster jars like Mary to Jesus. Let me mention a few others. Another woman in the list that's provided was Joanna. A disciple, by the way, I love this story. Check this out. So Joanna is the wife of Chusa, or Chusa probably, who is the manager of Herod's household. And you say, well, Herod, there's a lot of Herods. There were three in the New Testament. But this is Herod Antipas, right? The son of Herod the Great. This is Herod Antipas, the one who beheaded, who had John beheaded. The Herod um, <clears throat> who married his sister-in-law. Do you remember this story? And her and the brother was still alive. And so Herod and John the Baptist spoke out about his immorality to take his sister-in-law using his power, you know, while his brother in law was still alive, which was a no-no. This is the Herod. How ironic. I love it that it seems like God orchestrated it so that it would be the Herod's paycheck to Husa and Husa's wife, who had become a disciple of Jesus, who was funding Jesus' ministry with Herod's money. Do you like that? I really like that. Okay, a few other examples I want to mention. In all four Gospels, the women are the first ones to hear the message of the resurrection. They are entrusted with, they're the first ones to share the gospel and to share the message of the resurrected Christ. Early in John's gospel, we read that it was a Samaritan woman who encountered Jesus and was responsible with the Holy Spirit for converting her whole village. Why? Because it says that she shared the testimony of who Jesus was, and they saw this aligned with a a changed life. A woman, Countercultural, radical. But it continues beyond the Gospels. And beyond the Gospels, we have people like Anna and the daughters of Philip who were not told to be quiet, but were, who were prophesying in the New Testament church, not told to be silent. This is why before his conversion, get this, Paul was given letters by the religious leaders. Do you remember to go to Damascus and to arrest Men and women. You would never arrest a woman in that day. She's the home. She's the, you know, you would just never do it. But why was he given permission? Because women were operating in a different way in the leadership of the New Testament church. So case in point, it was a woman, Priscilla, who discipled Apollos, who was a man of great learning and intellect. It was a woman that used her gifts and skills of knowing the scriptures and communicating the scriptures and discipling. And it wasn't, Scripture never said, oh, this is a horrible thing that was done. And Apollos went on to be an important apologist and uh, disciple in the New Testament. Okay, a couple other examples, and then I'm going to give you a biographical example. Paul uses the Greek word prostasis to describe Phoebe. Phoebe's the first female deaconess in the church. Did you know that the church had female deacon that the New Testament has a female deacon? This term, by the way, prostasis, was a Greek term for a person who provided representation to an alien, an alien, or a stranger so that they could have representation, so that they could have support and help and legal representation. Romans 16, therefore, makes the case that Phoebe not only helped with perhaps financial aid, but also with legal representation for the early Christians who were being persecuted. Phoebe was contemporary to Junia, also in Romans 16, who Paul called outstanding among the apostles. Hopefully you get the idea here women were incredibly gifted, incredibly valuable, incredibly resourceful to the New Testament church just as they are today. Commenting on Romans 16, theologian F.B. Meyer says this, women are here, Phoebe, Priscilla, Mary, Junia, Persis, Julia, and others. The apostle Paul realized the immense help that holy women could furnish in the ministry of the gospel. And hopefully, if you're a woman or a man, because that's the two that we believe exist here, if you're a woman or a man, you're hearing this and you're being encouraged that God has plans for you and he has purposes to use what he has given you. And if you're a man, we're hearing that as well. I want to give you one biographical example as I close, and that's I had so many that I read and Oh my gosh. I just got so encouraged about these godly women, not just in Bible history, but in church history that God has used. I, I settled on a fella, on a fella, on a gal by the name of Elizabeth, Isabella Truth. Have any of you heard of this person? Just a few. Well, oh, a couple here. There we go. Yep. Well, her name was Isabella. I hear some people going, oh, that's not her real name. Okay. I'll get there. Just settle down. It was her name before she changed it. Isabella Truth was born into slavery in the 1800s in upstate New York, and she was bought and sold four times. She was subject to harsh physical labor, and like many slaves of that day, violent physical punishments. In her teens, she was united with another slave with whom she had five children. In 1827, she ran away to an ab- a white abolitionist family who bought her for $20 and bought her freedom. In 1843, she had a life-changing experience. She sensed that God was calling her to change her name from Isabella to Sojourner. She felt that God was calling her to sojourn and to travel the country sharing the gospel and her testimony. Well, when her children heard this, they were terrified. How could a poor, illiterate, former slave, female hope to survive in an, as an itinerant speaker? Women weren't supposed to speak publicly in that day, especially a former slave, but she assured them, if God is calling me and if God has equipped me, then he will both provide and he will protect. And he did. And so Sojourner moved to New York City, where she worked for a minister, a local minister at a local church, and she participated in the religious revivals that were sweeping uh, New York in that day. She became a charismatic speaker and an itinerant preacher, and even though she couldn't read or write, she dictated her own autobiography, which was entitled The Narrative of Sojourner Truth, and that was what paid her living expenses and made it possible for her to continue to do this itinerant ministry. So in 1851, she was on a lecture tour that included a women's rights conference in Ohio, and she delivered a speech which would become her famous speech, like Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, I Have a Dream. Hers was called, Ain't I a Woman? And so if you want to listen to it, go listen to it. It challenged the prevailing notions of gender and race inferiority in the day. During the 1850s, she settled in Battle Creek, Michigan, where three of her daughters lived, and she continued speaking nationally, but she also began a ministry of of care and concern and justice, what we call biblical justice. See, when the Civil War started, she urged young men to join the Union cause. She organized supplies for black troops. Eventually, after the war, she began helping black uh, military uh, individuals to be honored, or excuse me, to be relocated with jobs. After the war, she was honored with an invitation to the White House. Isn't that awesome? And became involved with helping these slaves find jobs and so forth. And towards the end of her death, she was still working, and she was nearly blind and deaf. And she spent her final years in Michigan. See, I love the story of Sojourner Truth. That's why I picked it out. Because here we have a woman who was born in a dominated white culture as a poor black female slave, and yet she didn't offer excuses for why she couldn't be what God wanted her to be. Amen. She showed us how God could use a woman dedicated to him to do incredible things, for freedom and for truth and for God's glory. And she was active not just in the church, but she was active in society. She was active in the community. She wasn't just a preacher of the word, but she was a speaker of justice and truth and equity. She was a risk taker. She wasn't just a hearer of the word as we sit in church. She was a doer. May we all follow her example of preaching the gospel with words and deeds, not just here but out there, even when it costs us, which it did her. Well, as we wrap up, allow me to summarize that for thousands of years now, we see this biblical witness and witness in church history of godly women, and of course, godly men who have been hired like we have been hired. We were interviewed. We failed the interview miserably. And we were hired by God and entrusted with these gifts that I put on the screen. And Ephesians tells us to submit out of love to one another. And that means submitting to one another's strengths. That means that men submitting to women's strengths and women's Women submitting to men's strengths so that we can show the world a different way. So that we can show the world that we don't have to be competitive. We don't have to be you know oppressive. We don't have to be intimidated by one another's gifts. We can say, wow, look at this woman or look at this man and look at the giftedness they have. How God can use me to encourage this person? Wouldn't that be different? And it was when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, they quoted a verse from Joel, from the prophet Joel. And the prophet Joel looked at a time when the Holy Spirit would come. The Holy Spirit would come on young and old, and it would come on men, and it would come on women. I'll end with that scripture. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Please pray with me if you will. You can remain seated. We'll pray for a minute, and then Scott will come up and lead us in the prayers of the people. Lord, thank you for these examples in the scriptures not just of holy men, but of holy one, women that were used greatly. Lord, I pray for the women here that, Lord, you will continue to birth dreams and visions and hopes for their future. That we, Lord, will not offer excuses for why we can't do something like Sojourner Truth did not offer excuses, but she was faithful to the vision you gave her. Lord, help us to be encouraging of one another. Help us to show the world a different kind of place where we submit to one another in love. And Lord, as we complete this series, I just ask that you would help us to pause and to do an inventory, look over the shelves and the stock of our lives and what you've given us. Not just finances, but a story and a history and gifts and passions and abilities, natural and supernatural for your kingdom. I pray that you'd help us to see afresh as we leave this series. I pray that you'd help us to see afresh The trust that you've placed in us. I pray that we'll be found faithful with our time and the opportunities and our talents and gifts, but also with our treasures, with the finances that you've given us. I pray that we'll have faith where maybe we were disbelieving. When at one time we felt like we had to hoard or we were distracted that we can be focused like Wesley was. Lord, help us to be faithful as a church, to give what you've given, to be generous, to be trusting and not disbelieving. And I just pray that from this time forward, we would see new giftedness, new callings, new visions emerge for our blessing and our joy as we come into the Master. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'd please be seated, we're going to take some time to pray and intercede. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from the River Anglican Church. You can find us on the web at therivernrv.org, also on Facebook, And you can join us in person if you like on Sunday mornings at 9.15 at 110 Roanoke Street East, Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. We hope to see you again next week.